welcome back to Basic Bible 101. We left off last with, with the last lesson with uh, the story of the Ten Commandments and how God gave Moses the, the Ten Commandments on a tablet, wrote with God's own fingers up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and when Moses came down from the mountain, he saw the people running wild and worshiping a golden calf, and he threw down the tablets. And to this day, we refer to this as breaking the law. The people literally broke the law. So Moses was at a point where he had to appeal to the Lord not to totally do away with these people because they were so corrupt. So there was a time during the end of Exodus where the people are receiving more of the law and beginning to understand it. And it is a time of appreciating what God wanted to do with his people. I would encourage you to go ahead and read the rest of Exodus. We aren't going to cover it at, in our lessons because most of it is a little bit of just details about how they were to set up their laws and what the, how the laws were to be implemented. So, um, and some things about how the priests were supposed to dress and various things like that. doesn't have a lot of applicable um, lessons for us in today's uh, day and age. However, it is interesting, so I'd encourage you to read it. After that, of course, after the book of Exodus is Leviticus. Leviticus is primarily a book that describes the various feasts, uh, celebrations that the Israelites would uh, hold every so often. And there were feasts for various uh, purposes, Primarily, all, well, all of the feasts were designed to remind the people of how good God had been to them and how he had brought them through various circumstances. So I would encourage you to read the book of Leviticus. We are not going to cover it in our lessons. However, if you go online, basicbible101.com, there is a downloadable file that will outline the various feasts and give you a little bit of an idea uh, to kind of uh, summarize what they were all about. So if you really just don't want to take the time to read the book of Leviticus, you can download that file and get a brief overview of what was uh, expected of the people at this time. Okay, but we are going to talk a little bit about the book of Numbers. Now the book of Numbers is starts off with the census, where they're trying to uh, understand how many people they have and who in, is in which tribe and all this kind of thing. They begin in the book of Ex or in Numbers to... Uh, confront some of the local tribes and so they have skirmishes. Uh, in some cases the Israelites are successful, in others they are beaten back. There, There is a, a mention in chapter 12 of the book of Numbers where Mo Miriam and Aaron, who if you recall these were Moses's siblings, uh, come to Moses and say gee, you know, we think we should be just as powerful as you. You know, this is paraphrased, but basically that's what's going on. And, of course, as we know, Moses was one of the most humble men in the Bible. He did not directly refute them. Instead, the Lord spoke through him. And I'm just going to read some of these verses. This is what the Lord said. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So God is basically rebuking 
Aaron and Miriam. And when the cloud lifts, we see that Miriam has a uh, bad case of leprosy. And because of that, Aaron immediately says, oh, please pray for her. And Moses does, and she is healed. So at this point, there should be no doubt that Moses is God's anointed one to lead the people, even in this time after they have entered the wilderness and are preparing to enter the promised land. In chapter 13 of Numbers, we see that Moses is directed to send some spies into the land of Israel and check it out and to find out if this is a good land and uh, what they're going to need to do to be able to overcome the people there. And so in what Moses does is he asks a representative from each one of the 12 tribes to uh, head out and explore the land. Much the same way as we know that Lewis and Clark explored the western United States. So the spies go forth and they spread out and they're checking out the various um, parts of this new country that they believe will be their home and they bring back a big uh, branch full of grapes and they have glowing reports about how fruitful the land is and what rich soil it has and how prosperous they'll be when they're there. However, they also report that the people in the land are giants and the cities are well fortified and they just don't believe there's any way that the Israelites would be able to overtake this people. So when this report is announced to the Israelites, they are grumbling and they're saying, boy, if only we died in Egypt again. Sounds real familiar since they love to go back to their old ways. And sure enough, uh, they are too afraid to even think about moving into the, the new land that God has for them. And because of this, Moses and Aaron are just heartbroken about it and they fall face down in front of the entire group. and. Moses is just, you know, what am I going to do about these people? They will not trust the Lord. We hear Caleb standing up and saying, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because he will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. Well, you would have thought that that would have put great courage into the people, and they would have said, you're right, what were we thinking? But no, <laughs> the people are just basically amazed at what Caleb and Joshua, the only two spies that said, I think we can take them. They look at them and just, it's like, are you crazy? So, um... The people rebel, and they just start speaking against Moses, and God says to Moses, Okay, enough of this. I will make you a new nation. I will start with you. Forget about these people. We're going to destroy them. But Moses appeals to God's reputation. He says, God, all the people of Egypt saw you deliver these people, and they know that you're with them. So if you destroy them out here in the desert, they're going to think that you're not a powerful enough God to get them into the land of Israel, uh, land of um, Canaan, that you had promised them. And so God uh, listens to Moses' appeal and agrees that he will not destroy the people, but will forgive them. This is a great uh, passage to remember when you are praying over an issue that you know is a very serious one before 
God and uh, you've seen God's reputation is at stake in, in the result of what could happen because of the situation. And so it's a prayer strategy, I believe, to pray and appeal to God's reputation that when God's reputation is on the line, he stands forth as being faithful. Uh, I think that's one of the ways that we can show our faith to the outside world is by showing that God can do things that people can't do and God's reputation uh, goes before him. Now it doesn't always mean that God's going to do what we tell him to do or we command him to do, not at all. But we'll see here in a little bit why it is that God doesn't do all the things we ask him to do. Okay, in verse 18, the Lord, it says, uh, the Lord is slow to anger. And so we see here that, uh, once again, Moses is saying, God, I know what you're like. This is the awesome thing about Moses. He has walked with God, and he knows God. And I think when we're in a position to spend time in the Word and to really get to know God, we can begin to see characteristics of God and then pray according to those characteristics. And in verse 18, we see this so clearly. He says, The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. One of the beautiful things about this verse is the reminder that God puts up with an awful lot. And as we've already seen, and we're just barely into the book of Numbers, God has put up with an awful lot from a rebellious people who continually don't trust him. And yet, God has over and over again uh, proven faithful with the manna, with the quail, in so many ways of protecting them. Uh, Now that they're right next to the promised land, you would think that they would have said, oh, this is another opportunity for God to prove how mighty he is. But no, they, they see what's before them, and they're afraid. Of course, fear is a natural emotion, and we can't really ignore it. However, when we let it um, rule our life, instead of letting our faith in the Lord rule our life, then we become uh, unable to actually do what God's asked us to do. And so we see that the people now are just too fearful. They can't do it. And they cry and they mourn and they say, okay, maybe we should just go back. Well, um... I don't know what they thought they were going back to because remember in back in the past was slavery back in the past was nothing nothing of an individual freedom or individual rights it was um, a terribly cruel life and a terribly uh, demanding physically you know as well as uh, knowing that you were just uh, somebody else's uh, puppet but the Israelites, all they remember about the past is the fact that they got food every day and they had a roof over their head. So I think it's important to remember too that when we glorify the old, the good old days, it's very likely we've forgotten most of the details of how really hard and painful that time was. And that when God is bringing us forward, He has a hope, a future planned for us, a good future and is intending us to walk forward into it and not to turn around and run back. All right, so that night the Israelites cry and say, okay, we were wrong, we repent, and so they pray and say, God, forgive us. But instead of waiting to hear what God wanted to do next, 
they decide, well, we're just going to go ahead and move forward, even though Moses has said we're not to enter the land because we didn't have faith. Uh, we cannot enter the land. In fact, Moses had heard from God, and God had said, you know, since these people just don't believe and trust me, I'm not going to let them go into the land at all. In fact, for the next 40 years, they get to wander around this desert. The people, when they hear this, of course, are crying and saying, no, we don't want to wander around the desert, so we'll just go ahead and move forward. It's a very presumptuous thing to do, to um, decide that you you know what God wants you to do and you're going to move forward, even if there's been no confirmation. And it, it might have been what God wanted at one time, but circumstances have changed. And so sometimes we just don't want to face the punishment that God has put upon us. And so we ignore it and think that that really isn't um, from God. But of course it is. So now we have the Israelites who have decided that they know better than God and so they're going to just go ahead and move into the promised land despite the fact that God's already pronounced their punishment. Moses warns them that they will not be successful and they are not. They are badly beaten. And this is how it come, came about that the children of Israel would wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they just didn't trust God when he gave them the opportunity to move forward. In chapter 15, there's some descriptions about special offerings that they are to make for the Lord. And then in chapter 16, it talks about a gentleman named Korah. Korah and his sidekicks, uh, Dothan and Ab Abiram, I think it is. And they are there to confront Moses by saying, well, we don't think that God only speaks to you. We think he speaks to all of us. We're all equal in God's sight. Of course, Moses does as he always does. He turns to the Lord, and the Lord fights on his behalf. In fact, what happens with this group of people who are rebellious is that a great earthquake takes place, and their tents and their families and uh, everyone who's part of this rebellion falls into this deep chasm in the earth's surface, and those that, are not, that don't fall into the pit are destroyed by a fire that breaks out. So we see right here that God protects his people his anointed, the ones that he has said, you're in charge and you're responsible. And he will protect them against the rebellion of those who don't want to go along with what God is doing. Okay, chapter 17, we see that Aaron is chosen by God as the high priest because of his, his staff is chosen, it buds. And you can read that story if you like. Basically what happens is that because the people still are kind of not understanding who's in charge and who should be the high priest, God says, okay, if you don't think it should be Aaron, uh, let's, let's give God the chance to show us. And so uh, someone from each of the tribes brings forth a uh, staff. But it is Aaron's staff that the Lord causes to bud, and not just bud, but uh, blossom and also produce almonds, produce fruit. Okay, chapter 18 talks about the duties of the priesthood, and chapter 19 talks about a special type of cleansing that uh, was to take place whenever there was a dead body or um, you know, whenever we talk about someone being clean or unclean, this was the way that they could become clean again. Chapter 20 talks about how the people are once again grumbling. We don't have enough water. Moses uh, decides that he needs to go to the Lord. And, of course, God says, hey, you just speak to the rock and water will pour forth. But Moses instead decides he's going to strike the rock, which he has done once before and water poured forth. Instead of just trusting God that his word 
you know, was spoken word was enough. So because of this, this is the sin that prevents Moses then from moving on into the promised land uh, when that day comes. And so when you hear that Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land, it all comes back to this chapter 20 where instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. You know, after all that Moses had done right, it always has struck me as kind of surprising that God would use this one incident to prevent him from seeing the land that he had spent all of his life helping the Israelites get to. However, I also know that when God puts a task before you, you have to walk in his power and his strength and not take on any of the glory of the Lord. And, and you really have to trust God. And we see in this case that Moses, maybe he just didn't trust God that if he just spoke to the rock, it would happen. You know, he'd had an awful lot of challenges to his leadership. And so at this point, he may have just thought, well, I'll just do what I know works rather than trusting what God had already told him to do. Okay, at the end of chapter 20, we see the Israelites traveling along the road and God reveals to Moses that Aaron is going to die. And so it's just that time, you know, we all will face the day when we go to be with the Lord. And so Moses prepares the people accordingly and passes um, Aaron's authority as the high priest to his son, uh, Eliezer. Okay, in chapter 21, again we see the people complaining against Moses, saying, You brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert. There's no bread. There's no water. We detest this miserable food. So the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and the people were dying. And so they said, We've sinned. Moses, pray for us. And so Moses, God uh, asks Moses to pre uh, prepare a special symbol. It is a snake that um, is wrapped around a pole and he holds the pole up and all the people are to look at that and then they are to be healed. Of course it assumes that they have the faith to look upon the pole and believe that God can heal them. And so it stops a lot of the death that would have taken place at that point. This bronze snake symbol is one that you probably would recognize from our medical, the American Medical Society uses the uh, symbol of the snake on a pole as being a symbol of healing. We also know that th what was happening here is that God was looking forward and showing the people um, a symbol of what would be when Christ was raised on the cross and we could look to him and be saved. So there's some symbolism in this as well as uh, kind of an, a little interesting bit of history. Okay, so they continue on through the land and they get to the land of Moab. And because they've been so successful, there's a lot of talk among the local tribes that boy, God is just going to wipe everybody out through these Israelites, and so we need to do something to stop these people. And one of the people most aware of what was happening was a man by the name of Balak. He is the king of the Moab people, and he decides that, okay, you have to fight fire with fire. I'm just going to bring one of our prophets and have him curse these people so that we have some chance against them. Uh, and, but what happens is when he uh, calls upon Balaam, Balaam is the name of the uh, holy man that is asked to come and curse the people. So Balaam, this holy man, 
says, hey, I can't send, say anything against these people unless God lets me. Which is an interesting thing because as far as we know, he's not an Israelite and yet he has a respect for a holy God and not just the idols that were so popular in that day. So Balaam sends the people away and says, no, I can't help you. And when this these messengers get back to Balak, Balak says, hey, you're going to have to try again because we really need to be able to fight these people and have a hope of winning and we're not going to do that unless we have some kind of supernatural power on our side. And so sure enough, he sends another group of messengers to Balaam and says, Balaam, please come, you know, we'll will pay you well and Balaam says well you know what even if you gave me half of your palace and everything you had I cannot speak anything other than what God tells me to speak but he says stay here this night and I'll think I'll pray about it and then tomorrow I'll give you a better answer so in the night the Lord uh, speaks to Balaam and says you can go with them but only speak what I tell you to say so Balaam figures, oh, this is a good way for me to get the money and yet still know that I'm in good favor with God. So the next morning, Balaam saddles up his donkey and he gets ready to go to meet with the king. And his donkey starts giving him all kinds of problems. In fact, it just refuses to go forward. And Balaam doesn't understand this. He gets irritated and he sort of starts beating his donkey. And they go a little bit further and once again the donkey is throwing a fit and not wanting to move forward and Balaam beats his donkey again. Finally a third time they are trying to go through this little area and the donkey won't go and so Balaam just starts beating his donkey and the donkey just sits down and speaks, speaks in words that Balaam understands and here's what it says. What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away from me, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. Balaam said to the angel, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, I will go back. But the angel says, No, you may go forth, but only say what I tell you to say. It's a very interesting story about a donkey speaking. And I love this story for so many reasons, not the least of which is that if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through any one of us. And the fact that sometimes the, the we move forward and we think we're doing what God wants us to do, and there are obstacles in our path, and they are there for a reason, because there's a warning from God involved in that obstacle. We see it right here, that God was trying to get Balaam's attention, and if Balaam had truly been focusing in on what God was, at, how God was at work, he would have seen the angel, but he wasn't. He was probably counting the prophet already. So because of that, the Lord just wanted to make double sure that he understood that even though he was going to speak words, oracles towards the people of Israel, they better be the words that God told him to speak or would tell him to speak. And so sure enough, Balaam 
uh, hooks up with Balak and they go up on a mountain. They see the Israelites down below and Balaam starts prophesying. And he said, um, Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those who God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom God, the Lord has not denounced? From the rocky peaks I see them, from the heights I view them. I see a people who live apart, who do not consider themselves one of the nations, who can count the dust of Jacob or count or number for the fourth part of Israel. Let me die the death of the righteous, and may my end be like theirs. Well, that does sound like, I can't curse these people. They are blessed. So Balaam... Balak is not real happy about this. <laughs> he says, boy, I didn't really call you up here to bless these people. Let's try again at another place. So sure enough, they head to another little mountain. And once again, Balaam prophesies a blessing on the people of Israel. And then a third time, they tried again. And at this point, Balaam says, all of us are going to be destroyed because of this people, that these people are protected by God. So it's very clear that the Lord is blessing these people and he's taking care of them so much so that the people uh, don't even realize that God is at work in the, the surrounding tribes uh, preparing their hearts so that when they do have to go to battle, the, the opposition will be afraid and will run. So this is a pretty neat story and there are a lot of great applications from it. A couple things I want to make sure that you got out of this. I know those of you that have been doing your lessons probably have done your homework on this. And so you are probably saying, okay, but was Balaam a true spokesman for God? Well, of course he was because once again, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through Balaam. And really God did convict Balaam to only speak his words. Question number five in your homework says, do you think God cares about animals? And of course he does care about animals. In fact, when man was given responsibility over all of the earth, animals was part of the domain. And so I think it's very important for us to be good stewards of the earth, which includes the animal kingdom. Okay, one other verse that I thought was very good in this section, and I want to point it out because you will hear it from time to time. When... Balaam is giving one of his oracles. In fact, I think it might be his second one, verse, verse 19. He says, God is not man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I think it's well, wise for us to remember that God's promises are eternal from age to age and that we can trust his promises. All right, so that pretty much much wraps up what we were going to cover in the book of Numbers. I'm sure you're thinking, wait a minute, there's more in the book of Numbers, and there there is. And so please read it. I think it'd be a, a great exercise in your student uh, notebooks, uh, workbooks that you have, uh, those of you that have them. On page 26 and 27 is a summary of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Basically, the book of Deuteronomy is was one speech from Moses. Uh, once they get to the promised land and they are ready to move forward, the Israelites, the older ones, over 20, have died away. And the young generation, God is blessing them and saying, okay, I'm going to move you into the promised land. And Joshua's at the hel helm of this movement.
so Moses gives his final charge to the people in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a great book. It's one of the books that Jesus quotes heavily. So do take the time to read that. Uh, that will pretty much wrap up Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so the next time, our next lesson will cover the beginning of the book of Joshua, where we see how the people begin to enter the promised land and how God works miraculously as he's promised that he would. Okay, thank you so much for sticking with Basic Bible. I know that it's a challenge. The podcasts are not very timely and so thank you for staying with it those of you that are working through it and hopefully the people that just begin basic bible will find it much easier to just keep going through the podcast okay until next time be blessed